0: Hey church, how we doing? Good, man, like I said before, it has been a long time coming, me meeting you all and standing on your stage, and I'm excited to be here and bring the word. Um, I didn't get a, a chance to introduce my family to all of you, but you saw uh, my wife Sarah, we have uh, we have five little boys, um, and uh, I know, someone laughed, and that's okay, and someone <laughs> applauded. Just to note, it was a dad who laughed and a mom who applauded. So, <laughs> moms, we love you. Um, our kids, their names are Cooper, Micah, Owen, Colin, and Noah, all same in that order and no other order, because I'll forget one of them. Um, and they're nine, seven, five, three, and one. Um, and so it is a range, it is a broad spectrum that we're dealing with with our, uh, our handsome little boys. And so uh, they're, enjoying, they're enjoying children's church right now and everything like that. Moms in the room, can I get a woohoo? Where are the moms in the room at? <laughs> Hey moms, we love you. We can't do this whole thing without you. I know how blessed I am to have, to have my mom, to have my mother-in-law, to have my beautiful bride and all the things that they do. And, um, just incredibly, incredibly thankful for you guys. Uh, my favorite momism uh, was the one that I shared earlier. We don't do it because it's easy. We do it because it's right. Um, And I really do think if we could just wrap up our message today, sum up our message today, knowing that what Christ has called us to is not easy, but it is indeed right. We will all be better off for it. So, what I'm asking you to do is for about the next 35 minutes, maybe 45 if I get a little preachy, but I'll try not to, is I want you to lean in. And I want you to do your best to explore some scripture with me as we talk about the early church a little bit. Baptist churches, man, you guys, I, you got a special place in my heart. Uh, like I said, I grew up in a Baptist church. I worked at Selma First Baptist for about five years or so uh, before I headed down to a, a church that, uh, that has Baptist roots as well. And so, so I love Baptist churches. Um, I grew up in them. I grew up in church, and my guess is is there's probably a lot of you in here today who also have grown up in the church. As a matter of fact, I know for a fact I met a lot of you guys on Friday night who said, I've been coming here since I was like six months old. So short, short amount of time then that you've been here at the church. (laughs) But a lot of long-timers. Some of you uh, probably didn't grow up in church. Some of you probably, uh, probably came to faith maybe later on. Maybe it was a, a life circumstance that really drove you towards faith. Something that happened in your life, a catalytic event, a serious catalytic event that made you question eternity, made you question the things that it was that you believed. And so because of that, you, you turned to faith and eventually found Jesus. There's others of you, though, in the room that are here celebrating mom, and that's perfect, and we're glad you're here today. And so what I want you to know, to all of you, is that our goal today isn't to, uh, isn't to try to convince you of anything other than, than, than what the Word of God explicitly states, and that for those of you who have been in church a long time, I hope that you get the opportunity to really examine what it is that you believe about church. And for those of you who are new to the things of faith, same thing. That's our charge, to recognize the purpose of the church. But really what we want you to do is walk away thinking about what the church should look like because of the fact that Jesus loved us enough to allow us to be part of his grand plan. So when we're trying to figure out what the church is supposed to be and we're trying to figure out what the church is supposed to look like, uh, we should probably flip our Bibles to the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip it over to the book of Acts. Put your finger in chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. We'll get there in a second, but I want to give you a little bit of context before we get to that. The book of Acts is actually named the Acts of the Apostles. That's how it gets its name. It's the Acts of the Apostles. These are the Acts of the early church, what they look like, what they did, who they were. Many people have the mindset that Luke, the good doctor, uh, wrote his gospel and the book of Acts alongside one another. So kind of a part one and part two of of an entire manifesto that he set out to write. So before we pop into the book of Acts, I think we're actually going to do the author a little bit of credibility uh, if we start back with his gospel, because the gospel of Luke's tone of the entire book is presenting a sound case for the biblical and the historical Jesus. That's what the book of Luke is pointing to. The Gospel of Luke uh, points people towards salvation in Christ. And not just towards salvation in Christ, but salvation in Christ alone. So if you read it, the detail-oriented book of Luke, where his Gospel is firmly rooted in the context of world history, giving giving dates and rulers that, that, that work alongside the stories in which he's telling. The book of Luke is a complete work that stands completely and totally on its own. So if a book like the Gospel of Luke were to stand on its own, what is the point of writing a part two? Why would Luke go and do something like that? Why write both pieces of this outside of the fact that the Spirit of the Lord prompted his writing, right? Outside of that, we honestly, we don't know why, but we do know that the message of each book is very similar, In the book of Acts, the message of salvation in Jesus Christ alone is in direct continuity with the ministry and with the teaching of Jesus. Direct continuity. Luke wrote a sequel to his gospel, making it explicitly clear that the business of the church should be about the teaching of Jesus. And that's what the book of Acts is. The business of the church. The church being exactly where they're supposed to be, and doing exactly what it is that they are supposed to do. When you study the book of Acts, you'll you'll see six or seven different times where Luke gives an update on the church. The update often looks something like this, and the word of God kept increasing, and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those being saved. It ends with Paul in prison in Rome. People were coming to him, and he was teaching the word of God, and the church was increasing. And here we are, 2,000 years later, and we're about God's business, the point of the church. And let's just be encouraged by this little nugget, and then we'll get up here, because I know some of you are stressing out because we haven't gotten to Scripture yet. But I want to give you a little bit of background before we get into there, okay? I want to encourage you with, uh, with this little nugget, that the three greatest churches known across the world in the first century, they're Alexandria, Antioch, and Rome, those three churches, those are the three mega churches of their time. None of them were started by Peter, they weren't started by James, they weren't started by John, they weren't started by Paul, none of them. They were started by individuals who merely believed that God was who he said he was and got after it. That's who the church is. And so when we're thinking about this, you're thinking about the early church and we're romanticizing the things that they did. It wasn't even the apostles who started those churches back in the first century, the most successful churches in the first century. They were normal people who recognized who Jesus was and got after it. Even today, all we hope to be is a bunch of uneducated, untrained people who the world recognizes in Hanford, that they want to elevate Jesus. That's all we want to be. So, the text we're going to look at this morning is a description of the very first time that people observed this new group of believers outside of Jesus. They were going to receive the word of God preached. This comes on the heels of the very first message of the early church. Peter is giving a sermon. It's weird. It's his first sermon. My first sermon didn't put that together until today. It's great. But it's on the heels of his first message. And it talks a little bit about the fact that that the good news that, that God had come, he had done something great in order to reconcile man to himself. We see that division in creation with the fall of man, and the entirety of the Bible was pointing to Jesus saying, wait for the Messiah to come, wait for the Messiah to come, wait for the Messiah to come, and now the Messiah has come. And the early church is beginning. Jesus defeated death hung out with his disciples for a while, ascended to heaven, sent his spirit, and now we find ourselves at the end of the church's first sermon, the beginning of the era of the church. So, for those of you stressing out, Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for your word. And even as we continue to dig in and continue to figure out what it is that you have for us this morning, what it is that you have for your church, Father, I pray that we would have open hearts and open minds to the things of your word. I pray that we would be students of your word. I pray we would be people who would fellowship with your believers. God, I pray that we would be people who are marked with love. I pray that we are people who would be marked with action. Father, I pray we would be your people and make your name elevated. It's in your son's name. Amen. Before I give you your first blake, I want you to recognize that the very first verse is very very straightforward. Verse 42. If you go back and look at verse 42, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Those are the ordinary things that every church should be engaged in. I think n- no one in this room should have a problem with that. That's what the church should be devoted to. This is the life of the church. There's nothing there about entertainment. There's nothing there that is spectacular. There's nothing in there that's revivalistic. There's nothing in there that will catapult someone to the next spiritual level simply because they took a magic little pill and there they are. It's a very, very straightforward verse, but the basic tenets of the church are found right there. And the first one is that the church should learn. The church should learn. And that should be your first blank. This is important. The church should be completely involved with the study of biblical truth. It was the apostles and their associates who eventually wrote down their doctrine and would compose the New Testament. But remember, at the time of Acts chapter 2, the time of this meeting, there's no such thing as the written gospels. It's the apostles' teaching and so this is important, this message of Peter is important because this is the first time that the word of God has been spoken by someone other than Jesus to them. is the first message that the, the, the doctrine is the word by which the church should stand. I believe exactly what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16 where it says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work church should learn. So we have the very Word of God collecting dust on our shelves, on our coffee tables, making sure people know that when they walk into our homes that we're religious people. The very Word of God saying we don't have the time of day to be able to crack open the Word and allow what God thought was most important to be specifically revealed to man, to penetrate our hearts, to penetrate our minds and work its way into our fiber, into our bones, into our actions so the strength that we have is found in the midst of Christ. We don't have time. And as we honor mothers today, I'm going to honor my mom again. and She hates this. Love you, Mom. But it was the opportunity for me to see what a lived-out faith looked like. Even in the midst of trial and hardship, and and we'll save stories about, about my dad and his struggle with cancer for another day, but a long story short is my dad passed away in the midst of trial and hardship. My mom remained steadfast, not because of who she was, but because of the fact she was anchored in the Word of God. And that's what we want to be about, the biblical truth. Yesterday morning, I shared with the executive board, actually uh, the same verse that, that Pastor Jeff shared this morning in Matthew 27, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. How are we as a church engaging God with this incredible brain that is functioning 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for as long as the Lord has blessed you to be on this earth? How are we engaging that mind? If you stop to think about that? Have you stopped to think about, like, how are we engaging God with our brain? Are we actively learning? Just sitting in church is a great start. Glad you're here, everybody. We're glad you're here. And I'm super glad you're here if uh, it's a positive outcome later on today for me. (laughs) If not, that's okay. Uh, I won't ever see you again, so. Um, (laughs) But sitting in church and being here is indeed a great a great start. But even right now as I'm talking, there's a whole lot of people thinking about their barbecue later on today. And even as we think about the Word of God and the power that it holds, there's a whole lot of people who are finding excuses to not open it up. What I would say to you is this. We need to give attention to those who are sent forth from God. To teach, to teach you about God, about man, about sin, about judgment, about redemption, about salvation, about his son. You pay all the attention you can. That's what the early church did. Every day, the church was studying the word of God from the mouths of the apostles. It's what we need to do as well. We want to lift them up, that's our job. That's our job is to elevate the name of Jesus. That's our responsibility as the church. And this is all, that's all I want to do here. So hear my heart. If you want to hear my pitch for why I should be your senior pastor, here it is. It's found in the book of Psalm, verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 14. For this stage specifically as we're teaching and as we're leading, and the verse says this, anytime someone stands here, Anytime someone stands here, may the words of their mouth and the meditation of their heart be acceptable in God's sight. Amen. That's it. Are you learning? Are you giving credibility to those people that God has placed in your life to observe and dig into the word of God that is, that, that is so easily accessible to us today? so easily accessible to us today, and that's what we should do. Or in 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul writes to Timothy, right, who's the leader of one of the largest gatherings in Ephesus of his day. It says, until I come, Paul's saying this, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Paul says that's what you should do as a teacher, exhort them, teach them, reprove them, correct them, train them in righteousness. That's what I want for this stage. That's what I want for F.B. Hanford, to be trained up in the way that we should go. Or 1 Timothy 4.16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you'll ensure salvation both for yourself and those who hear you. I know for a fact, one thing that I know is that I'm a servant of God and my salvation is assured. And all I want to do with you is share what God says. You don't want to hear what I have to say. I don't want to hear what I have to say. I want to open God's word to you and show you this is why we pay attention to the word of God, to open the word and apply it to our lives. If the church is going to be about the business of the Lord, then the church needs to learn about the Lord. The church needs to understand who He is and why He came. The church needs to be able to wrap their minds around the idea of salvation by grace through by grace through faith, not works. To lean into the mysteries of God and the love of Christ so that the church is equipped to share with the people in their lives about the transformative power of God and His Son. Let's fill in some blanks. The church should fellowship. The church should fellowship. The word fellowship in verse 42 is the word koinonia. It's tossed around a lot uh, in in Christian circles. It's one of those Christianese words that everybody says, but no one really knows what it means. Um, Koinonia is the word. Um, It means partner or teammate. They were together. They weren't spectators. They weren't part time attenders. They were together. They lived out their life in a wonderful kind of fellowship. A church isn't an event for people to come and watch. That's not what church is. It's not what the church is. A church is fellowship, it's a shared life. It's practical, practicing fellowship. It's sitting down at a table and not only remembering what Christ did on the cross through the taking of the elements, but also just being happy to break bread with the people across the table with you and share life with them. Not just ask them how they're doing, but ask them how they're doing with Jesus. Man, we love to say we're fellowshipping with one another and we talk about things that do not matter. Ah, but it's fellowship, so it's okay. We're fellowshipping with one another. For better or for worse, in all of your opinion anyway, Uh, I'm a Giants fan. (laughs) Let's pray and close. No, okay. (laughs) So three of my favorite years, 2010, 2012, 2014, not only did I have sons in all of those years, but the Giants also won World Series in those years. Um, And uh, uh, we we, we had a great team. We had a really great team. I could tell you about, especially Dodger fans, listen up. I could tell you about, look, this, this stage has been permeated by, by Royal Blue for way too long. All right? I was just kidding. I, work in, I, work, I currently work in Southern California, so um, I get it. I feel your angst. Um, but, uh, but I could tell you about uh, how, how we have a former Rookie of the Year. We have a former, a former MVP, three-time World Series champion, five-time All-Star, multiple gold glover in Buster Posey, arguably the greatest catcher in the game. I mean, I will say ever because I'm biased, but right now, at least, in Buster Posey. Or I could talk about how uh, we have uh, one of the greatest pitchers in the game when he's not riding motorcycles and crashing and <laughs> hurting his arm in, in Madison Bumgarner. Absolutely. I could, I could talk about how we have, uh, we have one of the most beautiful stadiums in all of baseball, right? And you Dodger fans are like, oh, you're not a purist. That's a new stadium. Yeah, your stadium's ugly, Dodger fans, okay? <laughs> the seats are yellow. Like, it's gross, okay? <laughs> I just lost some votes, everybody. <laughs> I could go on and on. We could talk about baseball. We could talk about these type of things until we're blue in the face. But the reality is that every time I say we, we have a Buster Posey, we have a Madison Bumgarner, we have a beautiful stadium, I'm including myself on a team, even though I'm not an active participant on the team or on the staff. The most I do is get really, really excited, because I'm in Southern California, I don't get the games, when they're on ESPN and I can cheer on the Giants from the privacy of my own home. Woo! That's it. That's all. But, but I say we like I'm an active participant in the same way that all of us say we as if we're an active participant in the midst of our church, when oftentimes what we're doing is sitting on our hands and coming and being entertained and then leaving with a, with, with a decent cup of coffee and a muffin this morning and being okay with that and calling that church. That's not what church is. Acts chapter 2 tells us that. Church is a fellowship. It's a teammate. So when all of us get on the same team, when we're playing the positions that we're supposed to play and we're driving in the same direction with one another, we got the opportunity as the church to be World Series champions. But we sell ourselves short because all we're doing is coming in and taking and leaving. And I'm not saying that's everybody. Hear me on that. I know there are people who who are just like, I serve so much, I'm tired. Like other people are tired of me serving right? Like, I get it. Like, you're here again? Go home. <laughs> it's not to guilt trip anybody. We're talking about this because our view of the church is stunted because of the way that we do church. This isn't what church looked like back in Acts chapter 2. And I'm not, I'm not saying we're wrong, because I think there's a lot of right about what we do, but the fellowship of the believers, those teammates, those teammates, who have one another's back, all of playing our positions, all of us playing our positions in the body of Christ, the way Christ has created us, each uniquely and specifically, to accomplish a task that we have at hand. That's koinonia. That's fellowship. That's the church. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that fellowship, fill in some blanks, the church should love. The church should love. There's an attitude that shows up in verse 44. It's a pretty important one: love. And all it says, "And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing with sharing them with all, as anyone might have need." So uh, we, we need to zoom out here because a lot of people get a little angsty about this because they're like, "Wait, are you saying like we need to like just be like in this massive commune and sell all of our stuff and share everything and like?" Like all of the things that I worked really hard for, I should just give away? No, I'm not saying that. Um, what I am saying is that in the midst of Acts chapter 2, there was a church. One. And so people, there were immigrants who were coming from all over the place to be in the midst of this church. Remember, 3,000 people came to face that faith that very day, right? So we have thousands of people who are coming to a place, largely probably leaving their homes, who have need. And the verse is talking about how if they had need, they probably didn't have a place to stay. They probably didn't have a change of clothes. They probably didn't have the necessities uh, uh, needed in order to to continue on with their regular life. And so what did they do? What did the church do? If anybody had need, they're like, hey, I got you. I'll take care of you. What do you need? Yeah, I got that. Absolutely. They loved. They were open-handed with their things. They were so all together in unity and love of the Holy Spirit that they were willing to part with anything that they possessed to meet someone else's need. And as we're camping here, I want to highlight the idea that love isn't simply giving away our stuff. There's a tendency uh, in, in Western Christianity to throw money at problems, and that only goes so far. You know why we do that? It's not because we're we're super rich or anything like that. It's because it's a whole lot easier to write a check from your seat than to get out of your seat and go do something about it. Love manifests itself in a whole bunch of different ways. A loving church looks like a church that's invested in the lives of those who are hurting, invested in the lives of those who are in need, getting into schools to help those schools, those kids who can't help themselves, helping them. Getting into the foster care program to provide a safe landing spot for those who have no place to land. Serving, serving people simply because Christ first loved us and expected zero in return. It looks like, looks like mowing your neighbor's lawn real quick because you already got your mower out and it's going to take you 10 minutes anyway, Right? Okay, I got it. Don't worry about it. I know you're probably watching the Giants game. Sorry, I just had to go back there for some reason. But let me take care of your lawn real quick. Free up some time with you and your kids. looks like caring about people enough to share with them that you love them because Christ loved you first. And because Jesus loved you and has flipped who you were on its head in the best possible way. You get the opportunity to go back to everyone else and be his ambassador throughout your world, which leads us to our last point: the church should move. The church should move. I'm not talking this physical building. (laughs) Everybody, relax. (laughs) He said we're moving. We're not voting that guy in. Uh, the (laughs) The church should move. So in verse 47, it talks about the Lord adding to their number daily. Did he add to their number daily? Yep, absolutely he did. And they learned and they fellowshiped and they prayed and they broke bread and it was great. Their community was so potent that people continued to recognize that what they were about was different than what the culture was about. And there had to be a sense of desire for others to know about who God was. When you're that passionate about anything, you talk about it. There's a reason I've alluded to the Giants twice so far today. Because I love the Giants, and y'all are going to hear about it. Giants and Jesus, not in that order, though, okay? We'll flip it around. Anybody in here do CrossFit? CrossFitters? CrossFitters, we love you. Stop it, okay? We get it. <laughs> like, you do CrossFit, okay? CrossFitters, for those of you who don't know, love talking about CrossFit, right? Right? And it's, not, and it's not because CrossFit is like, great, congratulations, you're, you're doing your best to get in shape, you're throwing kettlebells around and, and doing workouts named after people, whatever. <laughs> but they love talking about CrossFit. And the reason they love talking about CrossFit is because they want other people to share in the experience that they've had. It's this community of people that they get to be a part of and they're bettering themselves and everything like that. But, but that's why they're talking about it because they are excited about what they are a part of. And so we, same, we see the same thing here in the church, that people are excited about what they're a part of. They're excited. 3,000 people. Are you kidding me? If we had 3,000 people come to faith at F.B. Hanford today, we would be talking about it for years, right? Like you would be in the store, and you wouldn't even know the person in front of you, and you would be so confident. You'd just be like, hey, did you hear, did you hear what, what happened at F.B. Hanford? <laughs> because you're excited about it. And that's what's happening with this community of believers here. That's how God is adding to their numbers. And it's not just because of the fact that they were reading the Bible and because of the fact that they were fellowshipping and loving people well. It's because of the fact that they recognized that they were on a mission. They had something to do. Later on, the book of Matthew was written in 28-19. You want to know what the church should be about? This is what the church should be about. This is why we call it the Great Commission. Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. You want to know what we should do? Go. Move. That's the responsibility of the church. As we do all these other things, as we become disciples, as disciples are being made amongst us, it's not enough to get people in the front door. We have to get people out the back door to serve Jesus. That's the responsibility of the church. So when I'm talking about this idea that the church should move. A lot of people get like, wow, I don't, well, okay, that's great. And we could talk about that philosophically on a Sunday morning. But what does that look like in the midst of my everyday life? If I come here, you're going to hear a word a lot. It's a Greek word. It's not on the screen, but it's spelled like a, a, a real famous yogurt. Oikos. O-I-K-O-S. Write it down. It's not on the screen. Write it down. I know you guys are like, I put my notes away. We're done with blanks. I get it. (laughs) Write it down. O-I-K-O-S. Oikos. This isn't a program. This isn't something that we're going to, that we would hope to install and then never talk about. Oikos is a culture that has to be created in and amongst believers. So to talk about the idea of oikos, the meaning of oikos, it's a Greek word, like I said, that means household. Write that down. Household. The Bible talks about it a lot. And the way that the Bible talks about it is the people who are found in your relational world already. Eight to 15 of them. Why? I don't know. (laughs) But it tends to be that most people have about eight to 15 people in their lives that that they care genuinely about. For those of you who are super extroverted, God bless you with 40 people in your oikos. (laughs) I couldn't do that. To save my life Friday night, I thought I was gonna pass out from exhaustion of meeting everybody. It's like, okay, so many people. And for those of you who who are a little bit more introverted, those people who need to take time away from people, you get filled up by being silent, right? The five people who are in your relational world. But the reality is that God has both supernaturally and strategically placed them in your life. He's placed people in your life to make a difference for the kingdom of God. That's it. You want to know how the church moves? You care about the people who are already in your life. And you care about them enough to share the gospel of Christ. You care about them enough to share the good news of Jesus. That's how the church moves. It's not through programs. It's not through ridiculous things that, that get thrown at the church or anything like that. Church growth doesn't happen because you have a, a new pastor or you have new people on staff or you have the best music in the world or anything like that. That's not how churches grow. Churches grow because there is a body, believer, a body of believers known as the church who has been so transformed by the gospel of Christ. They are so ecstatic about the gospel of Christ, they can't help but be so confident in the person in front of them whose name they don't know, they say, Hey, have you heard about Jesus? That's how the church grows. That's how the church moves. That's the direction that the church should head. The church has to move. But it's one thing to agree philosophically with all of these things. And for most of us, we'll walk away from here and say, yep, there was scripture, and he talked about Acts 2, 42 and 47. He did did the Great Commission, like all those things. That's so good. We can agree philosophically. But the reality is, is these truths have to be implemented into into your life, or else else all of this is for naught. Or else all of this is just, you know, a program that we came to on Sunday morning uh, that we thought was a good thing, a healthy thing for our family to do, to be in church. But unless these things take root in the midst of our lives, then nothing ultimately changes. So I say of the four points that I made, I want you to pick one that you feel like you don't do a good enough job at. Look back at those four points. Pick one that you don't do a good enough job at. Maybe you haven't been a student of God in a while. What time are you gonna pick up your Bible tomorrow? Maybe Maybe you haven't broken bread And talked about the change God made in your life with close friends in some time. Pick a night and invite them over and stop making excuses. Maybe you're holding too tightly onto things that ultimately have no eternal value. Anyway, how are you going to bless someone that has less than you do this week? Or maybe you find yourself in a position where you're surrounded by only Christians and haven't engaged people who are not yet part of faith in a long time. Who are the names of the people that you're praying for right now? Because you have the luxury of knowing who Jesus is already, and they don't. Who are those people? None of these things should be earth-shattering realities for any of us who have been around church for any amount of time. But they're indeed transformative when put into place the way they were supposed to be put into place. It was outlined in Acts chapter 2. It was commanded in Matthew chapter 28. Imagine what would happen in Hanford if the body of Christ started doing what they were called to do. Can you imagine how biblically measured this community could be? Pursuing the things of God so when there's a question about who God is or why he sent his son on our behalf or why bad things happen to good people, or why you go every weekend to worship this invisible God that we have an answer and not saying, I don't know, that's a good question. I struggle with that myself. That we have an answer because we're biblically measured, that we've been a student of God's word, that we recognize his truth for what it is. Can you imagine what would happen? Or that the community here was so potent amid the rallying point of Christ that they want to be at each other's tables They want to be digging into one another's lives and encouraging others to do those things the same. How potent that community could look like. People will be pounding on your doors to try to be a part of that. People who are looking for substance in the world and a culture that values nothing. A community marked by an open hand an open hand of generosity to not just serve in the church, but serve those who don't have the same blessings that most of us have been given. Can you imagine what would happen if F.B. Hanford, man, you were just like, these are all the things that are the Lord's. He's blessed me with them. I'm holding on to them now, but you can have them if you need them. What it would look like. Or a community that's so overcome with what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf that we can't help but share with our own family and friends, people that we already know, people that we already have a relationship with, people that we already love, if we just simply shared with them. People want to experience glory for eternity. We want them to experience those things alongside us, so we decide that we will care enough about those community of believers to share that news with them. Stop talking about baseball. That's a potent community. It's a community that points people back to Jesus. That's a community that can change their worlds for the sake of the gospel. Pray with me. Father, we're, uh, we're thankful for today. And God, I'm, I'm personally thankful for today. I'm thankful that you're here, God. I'm thankful that you've shown up I'm thankful that it's not about me, it's not about our programs, it's not about the things that we do as a church in the building, but it's about us being the church and the things that we do. And so, Father, I pray you'd go before us today. I pray you continue to lead our steps. I pray you continue to give us discernment and wisdom to things at hand. God, I pray for this congregation right now. God, I pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment to exactly to do exactly what you would have them do in about 15 minutes from now. Father, we love you, and we're thankful for your son. We can't do it apart from you or him. It's in his name we pray, amen.